This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey Awesomes, this is Meg Teets, and welcome back to another episode of Extra Awesome. From time to time, we take a break from our regular Friday sort of awesome schedule and talk to amazing people who are doing awesome things in the world. Today, I am so excited to be joined by an awesome who is also a real life friend of mine, Nancy Solis. Nancy is going to help us discover everything we need to know about the practice of play therapy. We're going to get to all of that in just a minute, but first, just a quick reminder, as we're all waiting and waiting for spring to show up and thaw us out, if you're doing any spring-inspired shopping these days, maybe you're kind of refreshing your closet, or maybe you're restocking the cleaning supplies for all that spring cleaning you're going to get to, we would love for you to use our Amazon affiliate link when you're shopping Amazon. It's super easy to do, and believe it or not, it really helps support Sorta Awesome when you use it. It's so easy. All you have to do is go to sortaawesomeshow.com slash Amazon. That's going to take you right to Amazon's homepage where you do all of your Amazon shopping as normal. And when you check out, Amazon sends a few dollars and cents our way. So one more time, when you're shopping Amazon this spring... Support Sorta Awesome by going to SortaAwesomeShow.com slash Amazon. So like I said, my friend Nancy is joining us today to tell us all about the amazing work of play therapy. In fact, as we're recording, it's actually International Play Therapy Week. Is that right, Nancy? Yes, it is. So hello, first of all. Welcome to Sorta Awesome. Hey, how are you? <laughs> I'm so excited for you to be here because I know that the work that you do is something that you are so passionate about. You're talking about it a lot in our community. You're very actively involved in it, in fact, here in our community and in the bigger sort of like national organizations. So I'm so excited for you to share with us because almost all of us awesomes who are listening, either we have children or we, you know, have kids in our lives who are maybe they're, they're students of ours or their nieces or nephews, kids that we care about. And I cannot wait to hear all that you have to share with us about play therapy today. So thanks for taking the time to do this. Well, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. So just to share a little bit about Nancy's background, she is a graduate of Kansas State University with her master's degree in family studies and human services. She's a licensed marital and family therapist and has special training as a registered play therapist. She's currently in private practice right here in Oklahoma City with Family Solutions Counseling Group. 
She sees individuals, families, and children, and she also supervises other therapists obtaining their licensure who are going to work on getting their credentials as a registered play therapist. Nancy also co-owns the Oklahoma Play Therapy Training Institute, where she teaches courses on play therapy and serves as the president of the Oklahoma Association for Play Therapy. So yeah, this is something that you have on your mind and on your plate a lot. Is it that right? Yes, it is. It's been a it's been an awesome journey towards all of this. I obviously 20 years ago would have never even I didn't even know what a play therapist was or what a marriage and family therapist was or what the difference would be. So kind of been a long journey and I never thought I'd be here like teaching classes and doing what I get to do every week. Yeah, spreading the awesome of play therapy all around, it sounds like. Let's go ahead and start and talk a little bit just about your background. Like how did you, where, where along the way did you decide that you even wanted to be involved in therapy and counseling as a career? Was this something that you kind of knew growing up or was it, you know, something that came to you as you started school? And tell us about how you started to turn in this direction to begin with. Yeah. So when I went for my bachelor's degree, I went to Oklahoma State University. And when I started off, I thought I was going to be a early childhood education major. And that's where I started um, my journey. While I was in that program, we had to take a class um, where we had to do so many hours of volunteer work as part of our grade. And so I decided that I would go and volunteer at the domestic violence shelter um, just because I kind of had a passion for that um, work, um, working with families that had experienced that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went and volunteered there. And the woman that ran the domestic violence shelter was a licensed marriage and family therapist. And I had never heard of that. I, I knew there were school counselors um, right. I, yeah. I didn't even know that there was other than like a, a psychotherapist that you would see on TV that does the whole couch. And, <laughs> right. and that was pretty much my extensive knowledge about what counseling was, was school counselor or Sigmund Freud kind of. <laughs> yes. Perfect. So. <laughs> yeah. That's that was basically my understanding of counselors and therapy, too, before, yes. you know, I, when I was growing up. Yes. So I totally get that. <laughs> So I was like, wow, this is really cool. She is um, running this domestic violence shelter. She's doing a lot of therapy with the families there and kind of helping them towards healing. And kind of as I thought about it more and worked there, I actually ended up volunteering there the like three years of my remaining bachelor's degree there. And so I just loved it so much. I loved especially working with the kids. And I didn't do any kind of therapy when I was there. It was just kind of playing with the kids and Um, Yeah, kind of hanging out with them. And that was pretty much all I did. But it was really cool, you know, seeing their faces every week and being excited to see me. And I was like, okay, well, I know, I know I love working with kids. I know I love the idea of working with families and talking about families. So I kind of took from uh, the boss there at the domestic violence shelter. And I'm like, I think I'm gonna get my master's and become a marriage and family therapist and kind of go from there and see what happens. I love that. I love that. I think that sometimes we just like kind of find ourselves in situations where all of the sudden, like all all of the dots start to connect and you're like, Oh, I could, this is what I could actually do. So it kind of sounds like that was what was happening for you. Yeah. It was kind of like this epiphany. Like I feel like there's several epiphany moments that happened in my life and that's probably 
one of them while I was there working was one of those epiphany moments where I'm like, I can do this. I want to be a marriage and family therapist. I applied for um, accredited programs in marriage and family therapy. I decided not to apply to Oklahoma State because I was I wanted to try to branch out. So I went to Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> which, you know. <laughs> was a little bit of a branching out but um, well listen yeah. I know when you're from Oklahoma if you're going to branch out you either go to Kansas or Texas right like, we're like right, right. <laughs> we think that's branching out yes. so yes well and I, and I got into Virginia Tech I applied to Kansas State and Virginia Tech as well and I got into both but I kind of was like uh, uh Kansas State is drivable still you know yeah <laughs> yeah yeah get a plane ride to get home so I decided to to go with Kansas State. And I'm glad I did. Because when I started there, I, I started a, a, a GRE position where I was I had to start my job before I started classes. So I moved up to Kansas in June, before school started in August, knowing nobody started, you know, living with a roommate that I had no idea who she was. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that was brave. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um was just working 20 hours a week because as a graduate research assistant, you know, you just do 20 hours a week, which is a lot when you're in full-time school. Yes. But during the yeah. summer, I was just working 20 hours a week and um, kind of bored. Um, but luckily, I was, I was starting to develop relationships with my professors. And, and one of my professors um, was like, listen, we're having this training on sand trays and play therapy in July, and it's free for students if you'd like to come and check it out. And I'm like, yeah, I would because I'm bored. So yes, <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> and so I went to that training on play therapy, and that was like that was an immediate like epiphany, um, like yeah, the planets aligned, angel choir singing, and I was just like, this is it. This is how I can combine my love for working with children and also combine this family therapy that I was growing to love and learning about. So while I was in that program. Um, while I was getting my master's at Kansas State, I went through a certification program too. So once a month, I would drive to Kansas City and have a 15-hour class that was Friday and Saturday. And I did that for 10 months while I was getting oh, my master's wow. degree. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, a lot. That sounds like it was pretty intense. Yes, it was. Um, yeah, I had to, you know, stay stay in Kansas City and um, the 15 hours was pretty gruesome. You know, every, every weekend yes. like you didn't get a weekend um, because you spent your whole weekend just in class. And it's pretty intensive doing, you know, a class on therapy right. for that long of time. Cause if anyone's been in therapy knows it can be emotional taxing and, and it's the same for the classes too. Cause you're hearing a lot of stories, um, learning how to work with different populations and different things that kids are experiencing. So it was kind of emotionally draining after having those weekend classes. Yeah. But I was so glad I was able to do that because I was able to get all the training I needed for my play therapy certification before I moved back to Oklahoma and got a job. So that was nice that I had all of that knowledge before I yeah. started working my first job out of grad school. So when you finished schooling, then where you were fully licensed and credentialed to be to go straight into play therapy, is that right? Um, well, the licensure process is a little different. It varies state to state. Uh, oh, sure, but sure. What yeah. happens typically in in Oklahoma and most other states too? You have a kind of a it's almost like a residency, but it's called candidacy. 
Okay. You spend two years under the supervision of a more advanced clinician and you go and see them once a week and kind of staff your cases and just talk about all the things going on in your life and in your cases and trying to make sense of it all. And um, yes, it's a really intimidating process at first as you kind of realize your role in working with the clients that you work with. So you have a kind of a two year process where you're not fully licensed. You're a candidate working toward gotcha. licensure. Um, so I was licensed. I moved back um, Oklahoma in 2008 and then was licensed in 2010. And then once I was licensed, I was able to apply for my certification in play therapy. And at that time, I had all of my 150 hours of um, training towards play therapy and um, the supervision hours I needed in play therapy as well. Okay. I'm so glad that you walked us through that. I think that, you know, sometimes when we're thinking about something that's labeled like play or working with young children, we can kind of have this, you know, sort of perception that it's maybe, you know, not as serious um, for lack of a better way to describe it. But genuinely, this has taken hours and hours and hours and years of training for you to sort of learn and begin to put into practice. Like it may be called play therapy, but what you're actually doing in your work with kids is really scientific and really, you know, it's really solid work. Yes. And we, you know, we say that play is the work of childhood and it truly is. It, it is how kids kind of process through things. And, you know, you deal with a lot of big issues in the playroom. Yes, sure. Sure. Okay. Well, let's, why don't you, I, as I told you, as we were kind of like getting ready for our conversation about this, I'm coming at this completely ignorant of what actually happens in a play therapy environment. So maybe you could kind of walk us through, me especially, because I am learning right along with our awesomes right now. Tell us a little bit about what this actually looks like in practice when you're working with with these kiddos. Yes. I think for different play therapists, it can be different, but I can share how it looks like for me because, you know, everybody kind of has their own style and their own way of doing things. But I think it first starts with the playroom and kind of what toys are chosen to go inside the playroom. The toys are really selected. That's not something that you're just like, oh, my kid doesn't need this anymore. So I'm just going to throw it in the playroom. Uh, Ah, yeah. Tools, just like you would um, use in any other profession. You consider them your tools that you use to get at an an end goal or end result. So the first thing you have to think about is how how your play therapy room looks. So a lot of open-ended toys. Me personally, I don't have any kind of electronic noise making other than like instruments. Like I have some drums and some bells and things like that, but I don't have any noisy cars or anything like that. So it's very much open-ended toys, building things, dollhouse, puppets, art supplies, baby doll, kitchen, dress up. Yeah. So just variations of, of open-ended toys where kids can go in the room and really feel like I can choose to do lots of different things with what is provided. So that's kind of where it starts is just thinking about what to put in the playroom. And then after that, it, it looks different for different kids, depending upon how old they are. Um, typically play therapy, um, individual play therapy that I would do with a child is about ages 3 to 12. 
give or take. Okay. Um, okay. The ages that you work with in the play therapy room. Now, that being said, I, I have done certain play therapy things with younger kids. And I've done play therapy techniques with adults and people that are interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, or with couples. So there's definitely pieces of play therapy I use throughout my practice and not just with kids. One in particular is sand trays, which I don't know if you're familiar with sand trays at all. No, tell us oh, all about that. Goodness. I think you would love this. <laughs> you're probably going to find somebody that can do sand trays right now. Um, <laughs> um, so sand trays is probably one of my favorite things to use with adolescent clients or adult clients that I have when I'm feeling stuck. You have a a sand tray um, that's just basically a tray of sand and you have lots of miniatures that are just representative ah. of everything you can think of. I have, you know, people, um, religious symbols, characters, dragons, snakes, bugs. I mean, dinosaurs, yeah. trees, just anything you can think of miniature that people can place in the sand tray and kind of share their world with me. In fact, I oh, taught, that is so fascinating. Yeah, it's it's based off Carl Jung. If anyone's super familiar with psychology, um, it's based mm -hmm. off his work. He does a lot of symbology and how things symbolize certain things for people. So, like for instance, a rainbow could mean lots of different things for people. It could mean a promise. It could mean you know like LGBT, but it could be personal. Like maybe I saw a rainbow when I got married, and so maybe mm. it's symbolic of love for me. Yeah. So it kind of goes into that hitting some right brained, deep symbolism. Um, okay. That we have, um, and kind of processes through issues. I taught a class on it actually in January, a 15 hour class on oh, St. Wow. Grace. And I, and I usually have volunteers come in. And sometimes I will have my friends <laughs> come in. <laughs> <laughs> One of my friends came in and, uh, practiced with um, the therapists that we had that were practicing on how to do sand tray. And afterwards, she like texted me back and she was like, that was so amazing. At first, I thought, this is silly. Like, yeah, why am I putting things in a sand tray? This is going to do nothing for me. Yeah. Um, but through the process, you kind of realize, oh, wow, <laughs> this gets really deep. Yes. So, um, yes. That's one of my favorite like, therapy techniques to use. And so when they're working, when a client's working with sand trays, since they're the, it sounds like they're the ones that are putting the um, objects into the sand. Yes. And so it's this idea of kind of helping people have maybe something concrete to get them started in sharing something or opening up about something or talking about an issue. Is that kind of what unfolds yes. as they uh, continue to work with the sand tray? Yes. Yes. So a lot of times, a lot of times in therapy um, and, and a lot of times with kids and adults is, is most people, you know, have a hard time conveying what's really going on. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, obviously if they, if, if people knew what was going on, they could fix it. <laughs> so right. therapy is kind of uncovering kind of some deep seated issues that we have. And so the sand tray kind of cuts a lot of, a lot of that out. I always tell people a sand tray is like 10 therapy sessions. Like you get oh, wow. things so much deeper, so much quicker yeah. <laughs> because you're, you're working a lot with your, um, your unconscious material. I think that makes it to where you just get at things a lot quicker. <laughs> 
I can totally relate to that. Um, we talk a lot on sort of awesome about Enneagram stuff, which I know, Nancy, yes. you are just kind of starting yes, to investigate. I um, I am an Enneagram nine. And one of our struggles as type nines is we can be really, truly disconnected from what our actual feelings are because as type nines, we want, we're constantly seeking and pursuing peace. And sometimes feelings get in the way of experiencing peace. <laughs> so we just sort of check out. Um, and I have said before, sometimes I don't know actually what I am feeling until someone says the words to me, like, are you feeling this? Or it seems like you're feeling that. And then that can kind of trigger me getting to talk about like, no, it's not quite that. I'm actually feeling like I had a thing happen a couple of weeks ago. And I didn't realize I was really angry about what had happened until I was relaying the story to a friend of mine. And the more I talked about it, I started getting so emotional. I was like, I, I was really angry when that yes. happened and I didn't even know. <laughs> yes. So anyway, that makes so much sense that sometimes we just need something tangible yes, that we concrete. can hold, something concrete yes. to get those words to start to come out. Yes. So yes. that is so fascinating. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So fun. Like I, I always say that's that's my go-to. If I, if, if I go into therapy myself, that would be like one of the things I would ask for is if, if they have sand tray, if they do sand tray, um, just because so, for me, it's been so effective whenever I have done it personally. So good. So good. What other kind of like techniques, um, might somebody see if, you know, if, again, if they're thinking, I wonder if my kid would be a, a candidate for this. What are some other techniques, some other approaches to working with kids that you could share about? Yeah. Um, I think there's kind of two divisions. I don't even want to say divisions. They kind of work together of play therapy. It's it's being non-directive where you're letting the, the client take the lead or the child take the lead. And then there's more directive things. So sand tray would be something directive because I'm telling the client, I want you to do this. A non-directive, and typically I do this a lot at the beginning. I'm not completely a non-directive um, play therapist, but a lot of times I do non-directive at the beginning just to kind of get to know, like, what is the kid gravitating towards? You know, are they playing mm. out house and playing out, you know, that there's a lot of fighting going on in the house? Are they playing mm -hmm. out um, nurturing things? Are they um, more, you know, connected to like the creative side? So it just allows me to kind of get to know the child and kind of what issues might be going on in their life, but also just kind of get to know what their strengths are too and what they enjoy. So that's one piece is, is a non-directive piece, but then some play therapists also do directive work where they're coming in with, with an activity to do with. Oh child. yeah. So they might, they might play a game, but the game might have where you have to talk about a feeling mm. kind of working with the child on building up their emotional vocabulary you might do some games with like coping skills, like how do I cope with, you know, anger or frustration? You might do something where you create like a worry doll to talk about yeah. worries too. So that kind of thing would be more directive. So you see play therapists doing both of those things. That totally makes sense. Just kind of, you know, working with different approaches to maybe, you know, set up the the sessions they're having with that child for the most success and kind of, you know, getting them to open up and, yes. and get to what's going on. So yes. And also, since I have a background in family therapy, then that's also something that I implement in sessions. So I'll bring families in and we'll do some sort of playing together. We might just do a non-directive where I have the family play together so I can kind of observe, like, you know, how does the kid interact with their parent or guardian or grandparent or whoever's in the home? 
brothers, sisters. Um, yeah. Or we might do something more directive where I have them do an activity together. And yeah, so I like to integrate having the family as well in play therapy, which I think is so important when you're working with the child because oh, yeah. they're part of that oh. family. <laughs> yes. And all of the dynamics that are at play there. Yeah. yeah I can totally imagine that you would need a more like holistic yes, picture very much of what's happening. So yes. that makes so much sense. As we're talking and thinking about it, I would love to hear your perspective on what children might be good candidates. You know, uh, here at Sort of Awesome, we really truly do believe that probably most of us could use a little therapy in our lives. <laughs> Just a little working out of things yeah. and, and getting ourselves healthy and in the best position to, you know, sort of set ourselves up for success. And, and sometimes that involves a third party kind of helping you walk through um, unhealthy things, healthy things. But as we think about our kids, sometimes it can feel, especially if you're a parent, it could feel either overwhelming. We may realize there's something not quite right, but we don't know what steps to take. So I'm just wondering if you could kind of paint with some broad strokes, what kiddos would be good candidates for working with a play therapist? Yeah. A lot of the kids that I see are going through um, major transitions tends to be a reason that I would see a kid like maybe a, a move and maybe the move isn't going well. And, and the parent kind of mm. notices it's been six months. They're not adjusting. Um, yeah. We have this big transition, but you know, they're just not themselves or a divorce. Um, a lot of times that will be a big one where the parents are getting divorced and they, they really want some help on like, okay, well, how do I, how do we do this with our kids? You know, we want to both be yeah. good parents. How do we do this in a way that we're, you know, helping our child's mental health? through all of this. So any kind of big transition tends to be a time when I see kids, especially obviously if they're not adjusting well to that transition, whatever that transition may be. Um, behavioral issues. So maybe they're getting lots of calls from the school that you know their, their child is acting out or has any sort of aggression, or maybe it's happening at home. Their child is um, having some behavioral issues that, hey, you know, big brother is, is not having all these issues, but middle brother is right. acting out. Um, and we don't know how to navigate this. Um, so that yeah. can be a time that I see kids come in. And then there's like major things like trauma tends to be a big thing. And that's something that I've specialized in a lot is working with trauma. Um, when I first yeah. moved back to Oklahoma City, I worked in therapeutic foster care for five years. So that was my first job out of college which is working with kids that are either just coming out of inpatient or almost about to go to inpatient if things don't get better and that they're also in the foster care system. So they have compounded trauma, just um, mm. not only trauma from being removed from their parents, but obviously the reason for removal. Right. So, yeah. Or even people having trauma, um, one here that tends to be Something that gets seen a lot is environmental trauma, tornadoes. Um, right. So we had a, a big tornado here a couple of years ago where a school got hit and um, yes. some, some kids um, passed away. And so there was a lot of people working with them on kind of processing through that trauma of that environment, environmental trauma. Yeah. I can imagine it's not even when we think about trauma, maybe not even just um, the big scale things like that, like, a, you know, experiencing a, a major environmental like disaster or abuse, but maybe even like 
a death in the family that they're working through. Yes. Yeah. Grief and loss is a big one too. Or yeah, yeah, even I'm trying to think of another trauma that's, you know, just car wrecks where no one got hurt. Um, but, but then being afraid to get in a car. Right. Or yeah, I can think of one of my friends, her child, they had some fires in the area and they kind of had to drive through, drive by the fires. It wasn't, nothing really happened. They just drove by the fires. And for a long time, she was terrified of fires. Yeah. Yeah. It's so amazing. I mean, amazing and also just overwhelming how kids can internalize so many worries and concerns and fears that they might have that, you know, as a parent, you may not even, you might've think like we that happened months ago or it didn't even affect you right. but they have held on to it in their little bodies in their brains so yeah that's so incredible that there's such dynamic ways to work with kids to kind of help them through those things yes I think it's so interesting too. I want to take a side trail for just a second. I know we're talking about play therapy, but I I know you also just completed your training in an approach in therapy that's called eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, or those of you who are listening may know it as EMDR therapy, which I feel like this is a, a more current trend, although you're, you may be thinking, oh, this has been around forever, but (laughs) I have friends here in our community who um, have connected with therapists who do EMDR therapy to help them through not even like major traumas of life, but things like car accidents or their child got a chronic illness diagnosis. and, And it was very traumatic for them as parents, but they didn't realize how that trauma was manifesting for them. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit specifically, if you, you know, for those of us who aren't even really sure what EMDR therapy is, what does, how does that work? Yeah. So trauma is a fun thing. (laughs) And how our brain (laughs) processes trauma. Um, Yeah. Because like you said, you know, you can experience something and your, your brain holds on to certain pieces of that. And and it's Mm. really to help us if, we have been, God forbid, bitten by a snake one day when we're out walking in the park. Our brain is going to automatically, anytime we're in that park and we see a stick, we might jump and run away um, to protect yeah. us from yeah. getting bit by a snake. So it's really to serve as a protection. Um, when we have trauma happen to us, it's almost like the thinking part of our brain gets bypassed to the the doing part of our brain to kind of yes. protect us and think think on our feet um, so that we don't have to think, Oh, what do I do? Do I need to run? No, you're, you immediately run. You immediately uh, fight. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's how you protect yourself. But whenever you have something happen and then maybe the next situation doesn't call for that. So maybe you had a car wreck happen and I can even, I can speak to this because I I got into a wreck on this one intersection, Northwest 50th in May. And every time (laughs) I go through that intersection, I think about that car wreck Mm. because it just gets imprinted in our brain as a way to be like, okay, you need to be cautious. You need to make sure that you don't get hurt again. So it's just our body's way of protecting us. But it can also be a bad thing whenever we're afraid to go to the park anymore because we'll get bit Mm -hmm. by a snake or we're afraid to drive because we got in a car wreck that one time. So what EMDR is doing is is using your left and right side of your brain and you kind of recall the events of the trauma and the eye movement is going from one side to the other side. So you're trying to um, do something called bilateral stimulation, okay. which is 
engaging your left side of your brain and your right side of your brain at the same time to kind of refile those memories. Um, So trauma kind of gets stored in the sensory part of your brain where all your, Mm -hmm. in in your survival part of your brain and you're, you're wanting it to get filed on both sides of your brain so that you can have the logic side and the reasoning side come in to play as well. Yeah. So hopefully that makes sense in a, in kind of. That does make sense. (laughs) And that's kind of what it is. I think that, you know, we may, there may even be like a natural resistance to revisiting those moments of trauma or seasons of trauma. So this is so fascinating, this um, ability to, you know, kind of actually work with the brain. I love that you said to kind of refile those memories of the trauma, those experiences of trauma. That is incredible. I mean, aren't our brains so amazing? Oh, so neat. <laughs> and just seeing the process, like as a therapist that does mm. it. Um, and also yeah. in the process of doing EMDR, you have to, you have to have EMDR done to you. Um, yeah. So, you know, I've been on both sides, you know, seeing clients go through that, but then also going through it myself. And it's just, the brain is just amazing. And we're finding out more about the brain more and more all the time. I mean, even from 10 years ago, the research and information on the brain is just, just completely opened. <laughs> and yeah, so it's amazing. This has been so enlightening and truly it is so inspiring to think about what we know now about how our brains work, both from, you know, for those of us who are adults, but all the way down to children and, and how with healthy um, interventions like play therapy, um, we can, again, set our kids up for success, set ourselves up for success in so many ways. So I'm wondering on a like super practical level for anybody who's listening, um, who's thinking, you know, I need to check this out for a kid in my life. Where would they even start? Because first of all, as anybody who's ever tried to find a therapist or a counselor for themselves know, right. oh my gosh, yes. it can be so overwhelming and such a process. Yes. But then to look at a specialty like play therapy, where do where do people even start? Yeah, so there is a, a group, a national group uh, called the Association for Play Therapy. Um, and it's actually international because you can look in different countries as well. Um, but you would go to their website, which is www.a4pt.org. Um, and on okay. their website, you can go and click find a therapist and search in your area. You can search by country, state, city. Uh, zip code and try to find somebody that is a registered play therapist or in the process uh, of becoming a registered play therapist. That's super helpful. We will definitely put a link in the show notes for this episode to that organization, because that sounds like a fantastic starting place to find someone for, for people who are just curious and want to learn more. Do you have any suggestions for other resources that people could kind of check out to learn a little bit more about this? Mm, The um, Association for Play Therapy website, there are art, some really great articles. Um, so okay. not only for finding play therapists, but also for, for checking out resources, that would be a really good place to go. There's another website that works specifically on attachment issues, which is something I'm trained in as well called TheraPlay. Okay. And they have a website, it's theraplay.org. Uh, and they have a lot of great articles for working with attachment issues, specifically for parents and kids. So that would be another really great resource. All right. This has been so helpful. I truly learned so much because I 
really was coming into this with no idea. I mean, I know you share on your own like personal social media, you share lots of information and encouragement and inspiration, but just to have a better idea of what this actually looks like is so interesting. And I think this is going to be so helpful for people who are listening for helping either children or maybe even they themselves connect with somebody who can kind of help them work through some stuff. So Nancy, thank you so much for taking the time to come and teach us about this today. Really, we're, we're all about Awesome's know-how this year on Sorta Awesome. And you're a fantastic example of a woman who is really spreading the awesome of healthiness and healing to the world around us. So thank you for your time thank today. You, Meg. It was awesome. Thank you. <laughs> And you are also in our sort of awesome hangout group. Yes. Isn't that right? Yes. And so if people have kind of some follow-up questions um, or just yes. want to, you know, share some experiences, then I know you'll be around in yes. there after this I episode. Will. Comes yeah. Out. Yeah. And okay. they can just, they can just tag me and uh, okay. Um, I can't talk about clinical stuff in front of everybody, sure. um, yeah. but I don't mind talking to people even on the phone or personal message. So. All right. Thank you, Nancy. If you all want to find me for follow-up conversation, you can always find me on social media at Sorta Awesome Meg. Don't forget the show is over on Twitter at Sorta Awesome Pod. You can find us anytime on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see y'all next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.